Wow. Our lives over these last days have been focused and tuned into what has been taking place in the Bahamas and uh, on the East Coast. And we have been struck by the utter and complete, it looks like, devastation of a couple of the, the, the Bahama Islands. And knowing that as that storm, as that terrible storm came through the East Coast, that, that the damage there was also significant as well. And so our heart goes out to, to those that... Uh, that have suffered, and certainly we want to look at ways through uh, through our denominational partners and other groups that are reaching out to try to come alongside of those. And certainly in our prayers, as we pray for the victims of those storms, we we also need to be praying that the body of Christ, that the church would be faithful to reach out and minister in the terrible and great need of that part of our world. As I was preparing for today, I was reminded of. A story that, that comes to us through many iterations. And I was able to kind of trace back where did this story get its roots and its founding. And what I discovered is that the story of the star thrower was originally an eight, excuse me, I think a 16-page essay written by Lauren Isley in, I believe, 1969, the late 60s. Again, it's a story that's told and been retold in many different ways and fashions, but I think she is the one that, that's credited with this initial idea. Now, you'll be, you'll be familiar with the story. As you remember, uh, it, it takes place at the, after a, a, a terrible storm on the coast. And the story is of a young boy who's walking along the coast and, and begins to notice the thousands and thousands and thousands of starfish that have been washed up onto the, the shore. And he's walking down the shore. There's another gentleman, a, a rider, a man who's coming towards him. And this man notices this boy scooping down and, and, and on the ground and then throwing something into the ocean. And as they come together on the beach, the older man asks this young boy, Son, what are you doing? He says, Oh, sir, the, the starfish... When the sun comes up and, and the sun beats down on them, they will die and they will perish unless someone does something for them. The older gentleman looks at him and kind of with a smile on his face, but oh son, can't you see that, that there's tens of thousands of starfish that have been washed up on this beach? Oh, you can't make a difference. And the little boy... It's probably only little boys can do. With a smirk in his eyes, bends down, and he picks up that next starfish. And with all of his might, I'm left-handed, so I've got to switch hands. With all of his might, rears back and throws as far as he can. And he looks at the man. He said, but I made a difference for that one. Church, we are called to make a difference in the lives of others. And oh, it can be overwhelming at times when we sit there and we look all around us and we see the brokenness and the hurt and the pain and we get overwhelmed and we say, oh God, we just can't do anything. And I think what the Lord would come and say to us today is that you may not be able to help everyone but there is one. There's one today. There's, there's one in your life. 
that you can take the time to stop and to, to bend down and to take a hold of them and to dust the sand off of them and to, to put them back in the ocean, the water of life, so that they can be restored and renewed. Again, I'm reminded of Jesus' new commandment in John 13, verse 34 and 35, where He says, a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also should love one another. By this, all men, all women will know that you are My disciples if you have love for one another. Church, we are called. It's, it's a part of our DNA as a follower of Christ. When, when we, we see that baptismal picture of, of God's cleansing, saving work in our lives, it's the washing away of the, the sin in our lives, our slavery to sin, that we're raised to walk in a new life. And that new life is a call to love one another. Beginning here, amongst God's people. Turn with me, if you would, to John, excuse me, to Galatians chapter 6. What we will be doing over these next weeks is asking the question, okay, Lord, what does it mean to love one another? What does it mean, what does it look like when we say, okay, God, we understand that we are called to love one another. That is the essence of who we are as your people. But God, we struggle with that. We don't know what that looks like at times. And so over these next weeks, we're going to look at the one another passages of the New Testament. And, and certainly most of those come out of Paul's letters. But I, I can't help but link together these one another passages with Jesus' new commandment to love one another. And, and today in Galatians 6, Paul is giving us a picture of two specific ways of how we can love one another. Begin reading in verse 1. Brothers and sisters, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, you who are, if you'd allow me to suggest, you who are a part of the body of Christ, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. And we'll come back to that idea as well. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to one another. For each one of us will bear our own load. And the one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not... Lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of the faith. May God certainly bless the reading of His Word today, especially as we 
focus on just a couple of the, the points and, and focal themes of this particular passage. First of all, I want us to understand that to love one another, that part of what that means is that we are committed to restoring one another. Now this word restore is, is a beautiful word. It's a, a powerful word picture. The word restore would be used in that time. If you'll remember, Jesus, when he, he was collecting His disciples, when He was going out on the Sea of Galilee and, 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 and calling His disciples to follow Him, in one particular event, the disciples were mending their nets. That's the word restore. The word restore means that we, we mend the nets of others. It also had a, another use in the ancient language. In, in the Greek world, in the Greek language, it was associated with a medical term that the word to restore was used when it was ref, to reflect to, to set a broken or a dislocated bone. So you would restore that person, you would restore that, that arm or that leg or that, that shoulder joint by setting it into its place. If you'd allow me to, to elaborate on our, our story from earlier this morning, to restore means that we're willing to throw back into the ocean that which has been cast out by the storms of life. This word restore means to put back into its former condition. And we are called to restore one another. To restore our, our fellow believer that has fallen, that, that has, has been hurt, that has been cast away for whatever reason might occur in their life. Church, to love one another means that we are to restore one another. Now it's interesting, there's a particular uh, focal point or application of this word restore in verse 1. It says, to restore anyone who is caught... In, in any such trespass, in any trespass, that we're to restore the one who is caught in a trespass. Notice on, your, uh, on the, the screens there, the words I've chosen to ref, use to reflect this idea is this word caught means to be overtaken. It, it means that we could be suddenly entrapped. If you'd allow me to, to say, this word could also mean to be surprised by sin, to be overrun by the enemy. We, we've all seen those, those, those pictures and heard of those stories of, of, a, of an enemy overrunning a camp and, and just totally decimating. That's the picture we have here. Someone who was surprised by sin. This is not someone who is, who is willfully and who's premeditatively committing themselves to sin. But, but rather it's as if someone in the, in the regular course of life becomes so overwhelmed that they fall into sin or someone who experiences some kind of a, a, a temptation that they're not equipped to deal with that and so they're overrun by that sin and by that temptation. If you would, look with me to James chapter 1. James deals with this just briefly. In James 1. He says, but when each one of us, in verse 14, when each one of us is tempted, and each one of us is tempted, when each one of us is tempted, when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust, then when that lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived 
my brethren. So again, the, the experience of life is that we may, we may face a temptation. And, and we may think that we're, we're strong enough, we're on solid ground, and, and, and we don't respond appropriately and immediately. And then all of a sudden we become overwhelmed and overrun by that temptation and that sin as our lust turns into the act. And we become overrun. Paul deals with this, I think, in, in Romans 7. Chapter 15, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 7, verse 15, when he says this, and part of this will be on your screen. For what I am doing, Paul says, I do not understand. For I am not practicing, I'm not doing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing that I hate. Oh God, I, I don't want to do this sin. I don't want to keep getting caught in this trespass. But it seems like the very thing that I hate to do, which is, is to be guilty and to sin in this way, is the very thing that I find myself struggling with again and again and again. And Paul is reminding us in chapter 6, verse 1, that we are called as a part of our command to love one another, to come alongside of those that are caught in sin, that are caught in trespass who've been overrun by their sin and to restore them, to help get them back to where they were, to mend their net so that they can go out and fish again, to, to throw the starfish back into the ocean so it can experience life again, to reset that bone so that that bone can be healthy and functioning again. But there's also the reality of this life. That sometimes we can be overrun and surprised not just by our sin, but by the sin and the hurt of others. As they would come and sin against us. And, and I would say certainly that Paul is referring and, and would, would mean for us today that, that we are also to come alongside certainly those that, that have fallen in their trespass. And I, I love that word trespass because, because sometimes you may not know you're trespassing, right? Oh, I didn't know I was supposed to be here, officer. <laughs> not that that's ever happened, but, uh, <laughs> but we can get caught. We can get caught. We can be overrun in that. But sometimes we are overrun by the trespasses and the sins of others. And, and likewise, we're to come alongside of them and to help to restore them and to mend them as they experience the hurt and pain and sinful destruction of others upon them. And when we experience that in ourselves or in, in others and we meet someone who's been devastated or overrun by the enemy, we are caught called to restore them and to love them and to help mend them. And notice how Paul says we're to go about that. We're to restore one another in a spirit of gentleness. Did you, did you hear that? We're to restore one another in a spirit of gentleness. Why, why is it? I don't, I don't think it's true, but it seems like the world thinks that the church is some of the meanest most unkind, harshest people in all the world. Well, maybe it's because we don't know how to restore one another in gentleness. 
You see, it's, it's easy to kick someone when they're down, isn't it? Well, I told you so. A real Christian would never, ever do that. And the Scripture reminds us that we are called to come alongside gently those who have fallen, those who need to be restored. Just a few verses earlier in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23, Paul tells us that gentleness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. And so church, we must not be a people who pile on someone who's been knocked down, and we must not be a people who make ourselves look good at the expense and at the sin of others, but rather we're to come alongside of them, and in the fruit of the Spirit of God, in love and in gentleness, restore the one who's been caught or overrun by sin. In addressing this passage, Martin Luther said this, he said, when restoring a brother caught in sin, we are to run to him, reaching out our hand to him so that we might raise him up again. We are to comfort him with sweet words and to embrace him with motherly arms. What a beautiful picture of what it means to restore someone gently. Now certainly gentleness does not overlook or excuse a transgression. The wages of sin are always death and shame and guilt. But the person who needs to be restored is very much aware of this. And they don't need to be reminded constantly from our position of righteousness. But rather through gentleness, we must offer a needed grace and a needed mercy in that moment to come alongside of someone and let them know that they are still loved and let them know that they are still valued. In moments like these, we need to communicate this. You are loved and we want to help you. We want you to overcome whatever sin or trespass or circumstance that you're in and we want you to grow and mature spiritually in that. And Paul goes on as he speaks of, of restoring one another in gentleness. He goes on and re-emphasizes that for us with a warning. Listen to his warning. He says, we are to restore one another in humility. The translation may say it this way. Your translation may say it this way. Watch yourself or you too may be tempted. How about this? Keep an eye on yourself. While you're coming alongside to restore someone who's been overrun in sin, who's been caught up in sin, as you've been down to, to restore them, watch yourself. Don't allow yourself to be overrun by that same temptation, by that same experience. You see, our, our response to those who've been overrun and surprised by their sin is that we too can be overrun and surprised by our sin. So we must humbly and gently come beside those folks as we seek to restore and to mend and to set them back to their former condition. I'm reminded again in 1 John 1.9 that to believers, 
If we confess our sin as believers, if we confess our sin, our, our, our sinfulness, our fallenness, we confess when we've been overrun by our sin. If we confess our sin, that God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of our unrighteousness. Again, God coming alongside to restore and to cleanse us is our work as followers of Christ. We have the opportunity to come alongside of those and in humility to be a part of how God would restore and renew them. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount that we must be certainly careful of the speck in our neighbor's eyes, but first of all, we need to watch out for the log in our own eye. We must be humble and on guard as we would seek to help others as they struggle through their sin. Our task is not to judge and to condemn others, but rather to restore them gently. And part of our spiritual maturity and keeping an eye on ourselves is the honest recognition and self-understanding and awareness of our own weaknesses and our own vulnerabilities. You see, in humility, we must do all that we can to minimize the opportunities for sin to surprise and to catch us. I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone come and say, Pastor, oh, I, I never thought that I would do that. Pastor, oh, I, I never thought that... that, that my marriage would struggle in this way or that my marriage might come to an end. Oh, pastor, I never thought that my family would struggle with these issues and my kids would struggle with these issues. It's because sometimes we lose that sense of humility and understanding that sin can overrun any of us at any time and so we must keep an eye on ourselves and walk faithfully through this life. Look at verse 2. Paul continues. I think he's, he's building, although there certainly is there's some distinctions here, but Paul continues on. Not only are we to restore one another, in verse 2, we're to bear one another's burdens. To bear one another's burdens can, can also be translated and understood that we are called to carry one another. Again, since we reflected on the star thrower story that, that, that we, we tell often, I wanted to reflect on another story today. The story of footprints in the sand. Again, is a story that, that there's three authors that claim that it's original to them. It's a story with some history. But the oldest story, there's a, a, a lady by the name, let me see if I can find her name, of uh, Mary Stevenson, who says she wrote this in 1936. All you that, that do research, you go try to go to the earliest, the earliest rendition or, or printing of, of something along those lines, and she has the earliest one. Let me read her expression of this beautiful poem of how we can carry one another and how, how our Lord Jesus carries us at times. In 1936, she wrote, One night I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Many scenes from my life flashed across the sky. And in each scene, I noticed footprints in the sand. Sometimes there were two sets of footprints, and at other times there was only one. And this bothered me because I noticed that during the low points of my life, when I was suffering, suffering from anguish and sorrow and defeat, 
I could only see one set of footprints. So I said to the Lord, Lord, you promised. You promised me that if I followed you, you would always walk with me. But I've noticed that during the most trying periods of my life, there have only been one set of footprints in the sand. Why? Why, Lord, when I needed you the most, have you not been there for me? And the Lord replied, The years when you have seen only one set of footprints, my child, is when I carried you. Church, just as we have been carried by Christ Jesus, carried to the cross to be forgiven and cleansed of our sin and restored as a new creation, we as the body of Christ, as the hands and the feet of Christ, are called now to come alongside of others and to carry their burdens and to carry them if needed in their time of hurt in their time of need, certainly when, when sin might overwhelm them, but as we said earlier, there are other times when we become overwhelmed and overburdened with life. Now it's interesting here, notice in verse 5 it says to us, well, each one of us should bear our own load. Burden and load are different things. This word load would, would, would refer in that day to the, the backpack that a Roman soldier might carry, so it was the load that, that everyone was expected to carry. Your day-to-day load that you would carry through the course of life. But this word burden, this word burden is something that might come along and, and come beside you and on top of you during a season of life. And Paul is saying, yes, we all need to carry our own load. But church, there are those seasons and times in life where we are overrun by sin, when we are overburdened by life, and we can't do it by ourselves. And we need someone, someone's, to come alongside of us and to carry our burden. And we must all realize that there are those seasons where we will buckle under the burdens of life if we don't allow others to come along and to carry our burdens for us. September 11th is in three days. I know what that means nationally. What that means for me is September 11th of 2018 was my last day of chemo. It's been an incredible journey. It continues to be a journey of battling, of fighting, and surviving cancer, of of moving forward cancer-free and knowing what that means. And as I look back over that year and this last year, I can't help but give thanks to a church like this that came alongside and helped me and and my family carry this burden with us. We wouldn't have gotten through it without you. And what an incredible, powerful picture for all of us to understand. There are those seasons in all of our lives when we need help. We need someone to carry our burden. A couple of weeks ago, I had the, just the, the, the joy, and I, I'd been meaning to do this for a while, as I've been reflecting on my cancer experience and, and walking through that and saying, okay, God, what do I need to do with this experience? And so I invited the, the Jensen's and the Ferris's and the Woods to come, and, and Gay and I had them over for dinner, and, and we, we had a wonderful time of dinner, and then we just kind of started talking shop. 
We had a great time because we were able to, to carry each other's burdens through there. We, we were able to relate and we were able to tell stories about our ports. <laughs> we were able to tell stories about our hair falling out. We were able to, to love each other and to walk with each other and encourage each other and to restore one another and to carry our burdens with each other. In church, that's what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. That's what Jesus meant when He said to that we're to call to love one another. As a result of that time together, the Lord is continuing to stir in my heart and, and to bring to fruition some thoughts and ideas that, that I want to share. But, and we're still working on that. But I, I believe that God is, is calling us as a church, me as, as a pastor through my experience of surviving cancer, to gather together and to talk with those just an idea of restoring one another, of bearing our burdens with each other. Certainly those who are going through cancer, so many of you have experienced, survived, or going through cancer even now. So many of you are dealing with, with uh, spouses that are struggling with their, their memory, with, with illness as you grow older, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's. Many of you are going through struggles in your family, in your marriage. Many of you have, have other diagnoses and, and issues going on in your life. And we've got to find a place and a way that we can carry one another's burdens and we can restore one another. And so be listening and, and allow the Spirit of God to stir in your heart. I need to be one of those that would go and, and listen and help carry. Or maybe you would say, I'm one of those that's so overwhelmed by my burden. I need help and I need a place I can go and share and talk and cry and laugh as we walk through this. We're going we're gonna to meet in, in a few weeks. It's part of this sermon series. God stirred this. And I'll be coming with some, some more information over these next couple of Sundays about a night during the week that we could meet and just have an initial meeting and see what God would do in our midst as we commit ourselves to restore and to bear and to carry one another. Notice in verse 10, in verse 2, Paul throws in this idea of the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? I wonder if Paul was thinking back to that night in the upper room when Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you. Look at verse 10. So then, while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. I think Paul is taking this law of Christ. The law of Christ means that we're to, to love one another as Christ loved us. And we're to start in the household of faith, but let's not limit it to the household of faith. We're called to do good to restore anyone. Anyone who's overwhelmed with the burdens and the struggles of life, of sin. Church, this is our calling. It's the law of Christ. It's what He has called us to do and to be. So may we commit ourselves to do good, certainly to one another, but to all that we meet. I close with this thought from Lauren Isley's essay, actually the essay part of The Star Thrower. She said this, she said, The star thrower is a man, and death is running more fleet than he along every sea beach in the world. Did you hear the urgency in her writing? 
Death is more fleet than he that would go and throw the starfish back one at a time. Death is running more fleet than you and I can run. People are dying on the beaches of life. But church, we must go to them and we must restore them and we must help carry their burdens. Yes, church, we must love one another as Christ loved us. Let's pray. Father, we give You thanks for this powerful letter to the Galatians and in these short verses that we've looked at today to see that we are called to restore one another. We are called to carry one another's burdens. And and yes, there's caution and warning that that we should do so with an eye to ourselves, And that we should do so in a spirit of grace and gentleness. Father, I pray that this church would understand and realize what You're doing in our midst and and You're stirring us to love one another. You're stirring us to love and do good to our neighbor and community as well. Today as we sing, it's always a chance to look deep within our heart and and to make our commitments to the Lord. And Maybe today you would say, I'm one of those starfish that's laying out on, on, on the beach and today I feel like Something is urging me and and something is is casting me into the ocean, back into the sea. And let me share that the Spirit of God is moving in your life. Would you respond to that? Would Would you receive Christ Jesus as Lord? Would you receive His gift of life and of love? And for others, God is calling us to a deeper level of discipleship. For some, that may be the step in the faith of baptism as we've seen today through other adults. And for some, it may be just growing and maturing in a selfless life that's died to itself, that's committed to loving others and restoring them and carrying their burdens in the season of life as they're overrun by sin and, and by the struggles of life. This morning, I'll be at the front to receive those that would come. We have other ministers, other deacons would come to pray with you. You be faithful as we stand and sing in these moments.